Hi, I'm Paul Johnson. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Life Support. I've also learned do not ever try to resolve conflict by uh, texting or email. Mm. And I tell couples this all the time, you know, where they're trying to resolve their conflicts over texting and it just gets worse. Everything you do from then on is different. One of the detectives, I think his name was He was a golden boy. All we can do right now is come together. Extreme domestic violence multiple rapes. Welcome to Life Support, hosted by Pastor Paul Johnson, the lead pastor at Ridgewood Church in Minnetonka, Minnesota. You're listening to Five Stone Media's Steve Johnson, who recently sat down with Roger Thompson, the teaching pastor and former lead pastor at Berean Baptist Church in the Twin Cities in Minnesota. Roger's been in ministry for well over 40 years. He has a special heart for men and plenty of wisdom. So let's listen in now to Steve and Roger. Roger is a former lead pastor, but currently a teaching pastor at a large church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Welcome, first of all. Thank you. And I want to talk about that line of transparency. We've, you know, we heard a young pastor recently say, you know, when I was growing up watching, you know, the the pastors on TV, said I didn't know anything about their personal lives. I didn't even know if they had kids, you know. So and he and he's a young pastor now, probably in his thirties um, of a large church. Where is and I know that's a battle a lot of pastors um, face. Where is that line? How much do you tell about your struggles from the platform? Well, I I think that I have been fairly. I would just say open about my life and lifestyle. I mean, people know a lot about my family. In fact, if, if I hadn't had small children when I first learned how to preach, I wouldn't have had any illustrations. You know how that is. People probably get tired of hearing about your kids. Uh, but I've talked a lot about, about my life outside of, of what they perceive me to being. But I'll, I'll um, share with you that I was on the board of a, a ministry that ministered to pastors and uh, Christian leaders and uh, to give them counsel, often to work with them when they were in crisis or moral failure or whatever. And as I served on this board, the, the leader of the board turned to two of us who were there, were there, and we were pastors on this board. And he said, you know, you guys who are pastors, you need to have a counseling intensive every four or five years. Because he said, you collect so much grunge in your spirit. You face so many traumas, so many hard things, so many threats, so many things that you haven't had a chance to process. And uh, so my wife and I were about ready to go on a sabbatical, and we said, well, let's do that first. And, and, and frankly, we were, we were exhausted as we were getting ready for this uh, sabbatical. So we went for uh, four days, and the, the intensive was we would spend about three hours in the morning with the counselor, and, and all he would do is say, well, um, how's it going? And then we, <laughs> he, he was very skilled but, as a listener, but you know, he didn't really ask us many questions. We just kind of splurged, and we thought, we thought, here's the issue, here's the pressure, here's what's really bothering us. And what we discovered was, no, it wasn't out there. It was right in here. And so one of the discoveries that I made was we were, Joanne, my wife, and I were talking one day, and, and I was describing our relationship 
to the counselor and he said, Roger, you have a, a father-daughter relationship with your wife. I said, no, I don't. He said, uh, yes, you do. I said, no, I don't. He said, Joanne, what do you think? She said, yeah, he does. <laughs> <laughs> so I was cornered. It was two against one. My, my thought was, I, I said, my thought was, no, a, a father-daughter thing is this domineering, demanding uh, austere man demanding things of his wife. And that, and that is not me. But as Joanne described it through tears, she said, Roger, you are so self-sufficient. You don't ask anything of me. You don't say what kind of sandwich you want. You wouldn't ask me to, to, to go get the ketchup for you. You, know, you are so self-sufficient that I wonder if you're, you're here and I'm, I'm here and... I'm wondering, are, are we in an equal partnership in this marriage? And, and being a senior pastor could be a very lonely place to be at times. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, so the board for a church, how important is that role of being a board member? Is, as, and what is the role of a board? Is it to encourage the pastor? Is it to be candid with the pastor? All of that. Uh, all of that. Um, <clears throat> Again, I would have to say that uh, the board that I serve with now and that has been in place for probably close to 20 years, obviously there's rotation there, is, is just a fine group of men. And um, the, I think the role of the board is, is to own the ministry. And if the... Well, let me, let me take you back. When I, about eight years ago or so, I came to our board and said, I was lead pastor at the time. And I was approaching my 65th birthday, but it wasn't about age. It was really about watching the church and feeling like, you know, we need some, some younger legs in this church. And I, I feel like I'm 40, but you know I'm not. You look 40. <laughs> right? I don't, yeah. tell, don't lie to me. But, uh, <laughs> but anyway, I mean, energy-wise, I feel that way, but I, I know that, that sure. you know, we needed younger legs. So... And I knew we needed some things uh, in ministry that I just didn't want to do, didn't, I wasn't ready to do. Anyway, I went to the board, and I, I said, you know, we need to make a transition uh, to a new leadership, to a new leader. And I knew at that moment that uh, when a pastor does that, the board recognizes, hey, we've got to own this ministry. Uh, and, you know, they can... They can, they can float along a little bit trusting the staff because we're a large church and it's pretty much staff run. But when I made that announcement to the board, they, they really needed to own that. And, but the joy for me in that was I completely trusted my life to them. And uh, I think that, that only happens with relationship and trust. And I'm very thankful for that. So the board for me was like a, a band of brothers. Mm-hmm. Now, that's not always the case, um, but we cultivated relationship. We had a lot of frank discussions. We didn't always agree about things, but there was a sense of brotherly love there, uh, and they knew it's not my church, and I knew that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I transitioned and they began to own the ministry again because they needed to call somebody new, um, I saw that they really cared for the body of Christ, and uh, and they cared for me too, and um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah. but let's let's move into the area of congregational care. Yeah. 
okay. things you've learned uh, about that topic. A large church is an easy place to hide on a weekend. Yes. And a lot of people do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, um, we talked to an organization recently that supplies small group materials to churches of all sizes. And they said um, literally until three years ago, churches were not asking for mental health materials mm-hmm. to, to help them care. So what, you know, I know a little bit about, you know, your, your care team, but talk about your philosophy of care for your congregation. How do you, how do you avoid that of them just coming and leaving and, and, and suffering? Well, I don't know if there's any one answer to that. I think that the posture needs to be the tone from the, platform on the pulpit needs to be one of the kind of transparency I was talking about before. You you can say it's okay to be not okay, but if you never illustrate that from your own life, if it's just sheer exegesis, eh, it's really not okay to ask a question here that's not about the Bible. Hmm. Um, I think that uh, also every large church like ours needs to become small. We've got to have we call them adult Bible fellowships. We need small groups. But I also think that, you know, when we, when we teach through the Scripture, there's plenty of opportunity, if you teach expositorily, to talk about the real hurts and wounds of people. You know, worry and depression and defeat and sadness and sorrow and, and mourning, uh, all those things. Um, so I've always been a proponent of... Uh, see, it, well, I've, I've prayed for the gift of referral because <laughs> I have many people coming to me and I, mm-hmm. I can't deal with all of that. I have a natural bent in that direction, but it's, it's not really my gift um, or my time. And so I prayed for the gift of referral so, so I can refer to other uh, professionals in the area. We have a pretty significant Stephen ministry that's been developed and uh, you know, dozens of people who give give care and listening on a regular basis. So I think that permeates the culture. We're not where we ought to be, but we try to be uh, responsive. Um, recently we've been through some significant trauma in our church with the leaving of our former lead pastor. And it triggered many people, many women in the church from things that they had experienced in the past. And we tried to be responsive to that. We have a lot of work to still to do, but. Um, we wanted to listen to that, and, and I think we did, and uh, we worked at that. So, One of the first things you said today was they didn't teach you conflict resolution in seminary. Right. Yeah. So obviously you've learned something over the years, but let's talk about that. Yeah. When there is a great deal of conflict going on within the church, staff, and congregation, what is the right way to handle that as the leader of that church? Well, get the book by Ken Sandy called Peacemakers. <laughs> And put it under your pillow and sleep on it and learn it. But, you know, the major issue is always the first step, which is if you have an offense, you get the log out of your own eye, confess it to the Lord, be sure that you're, you're, somehow you've contributed to this, and go to that person. And that is the most avoided spiritual discipline in the church. And um, we're, we're a nation of editorialists. 
And we've let that become the church. We editorialize by gossiping. So that's the key. And it's, it's hard for me. So I need to go to that staff member, whether it's a conflict or just a difference of opinion or something that I want to just say, hey, here's a suggestion to go to the person. And um, <laughs> I'm thinking of some situations right now where I've asked people, go and talk. Why are you talking to me about this? You need to go to that person and talk with them. And it's just the most threatening thing, but it's still the most necessary thing. So I've learned that. I've also learned do not ever try to resolve conflict by uh, texting or email. Mm. And I tell couples this all the time, you know, where they're trying to resolve their conflicts over texting, and it just gets worse. And the reason for that, first of all, there's no tone to the right, text, no right? Tone, right. But are there other reasons for that? It, it, yeah, it's it's the whole tonal thing. Yeah. You you say things, and it, a text or a email just has barbed wire all around it. It's meant to wound, or it seems like it is. And uh, so I just say, stop, do not. And and even uh, even when I get critics to me over email, I I might respond that I got this. We need to talk. So I don't try to resolve that yeah. with email. Mm. Unless it's just a detail they needed to know, but normally it's a personal issue. So. You have a huge heart for men mm. in particular. What challenges do Christian men face right now? Wow. Um, that maybe you didn't see 30 years ago. Well, I think, I think the whole issue of... Um, Isolation is huge for, for men. And the isolation is, um, of course, been added to by pandemic and some other things in our culture. But technology isolates, working from home isolates, and sin isolates. And uh, pornography is a huge issue for men. And it's not the, only the sin itself, but it's the the sense of disqualification that it brings, the shame that it brings, so that many men who truly love the Lord, they truly want to follow Him, and they know a lot of things, disqualify themselves because they know they have this secret pocket in their life. Mm -hmm. So that's a huge issue. And it's something you don't have to go searching for anymore. No, and it's it, available. It, it comes a, to you. A click. It yeah. comes at you, and, and the most innocent search of YouTube, you can get an ad that's, that would have been considered pornographic you know, years ago, or suggestive at least, and it's just everywhere. So that's, that's one thing. So the, the, the secret sense of disqualification, I think, is huge in Christian men. But I've always had this heart for men um, who are on the fringe. Uh, and the, the guy I have in mind is, is a guy who's the answer man all week long. He is the expert. He travels. People seek him out. He's the consultant. And he can solve your pipeline or he can fix your technology or he can operate on your heart. But he walks in the church or he comes into a group and he's totally paralyzed that somebody will ask him a question about the Bible. Mm -hmm. And it's an issue of feeling incompetent. And I, I understand that. I mean, I don't want to be invited to a technology convention because I know how to turn it on and how to call for help. That's about it. I don't want to be exposed to be incompetent. I don't want 
I don't want to go on the dance floor <laughs> with my two moves yeah. and have people watch me. Right. I don't mm. want to be proven incompetent. And I think that's a huge barrier in the church. We need to create environments where men are free to, you know, we, we somehow convey to them, you don't have to know all these things. We're here for you. We saw you coming, and we want to we we help you learn and teach you. And um, so that's, the, and, and I think the other thing is, um, it's maybe a little bit dangerous to say, but I think so much of our discipleship in the church is synonymous with Bible study. And I know it's dangerous for a pastor to say that because it's all based in Scripture, obviously. But when we say to a man, come to a Bible study, there's two things that, that repel him. One, it's a study, and he doesn't do study anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> he hasn't read a book since he left college, and he faked it then. Mm -hmm. A lot of guys, they'll admit to that. And secondly, it's the Bible, and I don't know much about that. So a lot of times we, again, that taps into that sense of men want to feel competent. They, <laughs> they, they want to feel like they have a contribution to make. And I want to create environments where instead of calling it a Bible study, we're going to say we're going to study character or... We're going we're gonna to talk about courage. or Of course, that's going to be laden with, with Bible. But it's just a little, that's a simple thing that I would say is more of a, an approach. But that sense of shame and disqualification and then the sense of, of feeling incompetent, mm -hmm. I think, is a huge barrier for men. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's not that they're um, unspiritual or, you know, I, I, I find a lot of men that maybe you would think are lazy spiritually, are really, no, they're not lazy. They're just avoiding being exposed. Yeah, they just areas. haven't found the right leader yet right. to encourage right. them on that. And, and you know, and mm. I, I don't think this is true in our church, but I think the church can feel very feminized to men, and they're just not attracted to that. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our time is, is getting near the end, but I, I want to... I want you to talk to young pastors now um, who are leaving the ministry. I mean, mm -hmm. pastors are leaving the ministry of all ages, but young pastors, I mean, you've been through this too. You get bombarded, particularly in the last year and a half. You're just bombarded from mm -hmm. both sides, right? I mean, everybody thinks they're right, and yeah. the pastor's wrong regardless. Yeah. I mean, you can't do anything right. Yeah. So what, what would you say to encourage young pastors that are wondering if this is all worth it? <clears throat> well, I think, uh, I think your identity uh, is everything. And, um, you know, the, by identity what I mean is you need to know or rediscover who you really are. And the same things I was just saying about men are times ten with a pastor. Because you're not only living your own life, you're, you're living in a fishbowl for other people. And so your identity in Christ needs to be, um, uh, I would say, start full, you know, that as a dearly loved child of God, start full every day. And uh, no matter what the, the rough and tumble of ministry is, you need to know who you are because even if you might have left one situation, because it was just untenable for you, doesn't mean that your ministry life is over. If you know who you are in Christ, then you have something to give. And then you need to have, you need to find a mentor. 
somebody who can be a safe friend, somebody that you can vomit with, somebody that you can pound the table with, and it's not going to damage his spiritual life, and he'll love you anyway. Uh, and, and many younger men have not found that and uh, haven't found an older man or a more experienced man or even a brother of the same age who's able to sustain you and give you some ballast uh, through the storm. But I think it, disappointment in ministry is a given. And so if you have been deeply disappointed or if you have been dropped on your head, if there's been some situation that was just uh, uh, mean-spirited and and unscriptural that you've suffered from. Well, welcome to the club, and I don't mean that lightly. I just mean find a place of healing and recognize that it's not always about you. The ministry itself is a dangerous place to live, and so we're going to have some wounds and some casualties, but those very wounds can become, for you, the genesis of of a ministry that will be more fruitful in the future. So I want to encourage you that Jesus heals uh, just like he calls. I think every man longs for that kind of relationship. Every man I know wants a brother or a band of brothers. They just don't know where to find it or they've been deeply disappointed or hurt in the process of seeking that out. And um, so I, I, I would just change the... the um, the expectation from men not wanting it, I, I would say, no, they, they really do want it and they need to have safe places. I, all I can do is, is share my experience. We have a ministry to men and, and I've watched over the years men, and, and we, say, we say to this, our, our ministry is called Ironworks and we don't have any homework. There's, you know, we, we teach and then we discuss, but, and we say come anytime or come all the time, you know. So I, I've watched guys come in kind of lurking around the edges of the room and they come in and they find the farthest table away and sit there silently and and I've watched their body language over a, over a season and they start coming earlier they start staying later they start to meet one or two guys and in the process of that of that warming up I've literally watched life transformation and so there has to be a a context because uh, men are not going to dive off the high board. They're going to get in the waiting pool and go deeper and deeper and deeper. And uh, So I think men, men long for that, and then they long to share their story uh, when they get to a safe place. I, I liken it to um, men around a campfire. That's you know, when the masks come off and, <laughs> and, and guys start, start poking the coals and they finally start talking about their wife or about their failure or about their lust or about their... Their, their work, uh, about their hurts. So um, uh, it, 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 it won't come without an environment. And I think this, might, this, this may sound a little bit trite, but I have things that take me away from ministry. Uh, I have hobbies. I, I do woodworking. I, I've been a runner and a biker all my life. And that's not just for my health. That's been an escape. There's been many a long run that I have been like Samuel, I've slain Agag in pieces before the Lord. You know, I've had some parishioner on the witness stand and I've just reamed them out with my cross-examination in my mind as I've run, you know. So 
I've done some things that, that help me release some of the frustrations of, of life, and I think that's very helpful. Unfortunately, and many of my colleagues uh, don't have anything they do that, that has no redemptive value. And by that I mean it doesn't relate to the church. It's, it's, a, it's a healthy um, distraction. So that's, that's another thing. And, um, you know, I guess just the, the, life of, uh, ne- the life of constantly examining Scripture and needing to be real about that um, as I preach examines me and shapes me. I'm formed by that. And, uh, Thank you. Yeah, um, Roger Thompson, we, we share our stories here at Five Stone Media for the purpose of helping other people. And I know your story is going to do that for people that are watching. And thank you for taking the time with us today. You're welcome. It's my joy. Well, thanks so much, Steve and Roger. That's really good stuff. And that's what we do here on Life Support. We tell stories to help you find a deeper relationship with Jesus through suffering and trauma. And remember, no matter how dark life gets, no matter how difficult it becomes, Jesus has promised, let not your heart be troubled or let it be afraid. And why can we count on that? It's because Jesus has also promised that he has overcome the world. He's always with you, even when it feels sometimes like you're alone. Just know that in that darkness is many times where you'll find Christ at a deeper level. Well, I want to thank our fine partners here that make this podcast possible, faithradio.com. They're wonderful people there. You can see a visual version of this podcast at fivestonemedia.com, and you can check out Ridgewood Church at mindrwc.org. So glad you listened. We'll catch you next time right here on Life Support. listening to this life support podcast these conversations are available because of listener support you can make a gift now at myfaithradio.com to avoid missing future editions of life support subscribe to the podcast today at itunes or your podcast player and thanks for sharing this audio link with a friend and grow the impact of life support